Well, today is the 24th of May, um, 2008, and it's the 30, what did we say, the 34th day of Yoma. Let's, uh, let's open in prayer. Our Father, as we uh, delve into these final chapters of uh, this precious book that you've given us, uh, this book of Matthew, Father, we ask that you might uh, open our eyes, especially today, as we uh, examine this uh, this uh, poignant uh, moment in the life of our Master, Father, and how he uh, offered himself as our peace offering. And Father, we ask that you might uh, renew us again to be peacemakers, that we might uh, make peace between uh, ourselves and others and you. And Father, we ask that you might uh, um, prepare our hearts to receive your word. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by his commandments and command us regarding the counting of the Omer. Today is the 34th day of the Omer, which are four weeks, or three weeks, and six days. The compassionate one, may he return for us to service to the temple speedily in our days. Amen. Now Yeshua stood before the governor. By the way, this is lesson 8, chapter 27. Now Yeshua stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Matthew 27, 11. Interesting question. Where did that come up? You know, where do you get that idea? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Everybody, yeah, exactly. Everybody's, everybody's talking about it. Well, he, here he is. He arrived in, that's right, he arrived in Jerusalem uh, for the feast. And uh, everybody's talking about it. He's, he's, he's son of David. He's, he's got to be Messiah. So that means he's King Messiah. So he wants to know, are you king of the Jews? Um, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering. A korban olah. This is an offering that is, uh, that is consumed, burnt, completely burnt, instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Hashem Yirah, which is, and the Lord will see, or will make it manifest. As it is said to this day, in the mountain of the Lord it shall be seen. I know that some Bibles say it shall be provided. Um, it's an interesting uh, little trick of Hebrew is the word provided and the word seen, yirah, is actually the same word. So, when you see something, it's provided for you. It's very pragmatic, isn't it? It's very practical. Look, there's bread. Let's eat. <laughs> um, I've written on the, on, the, on the blackboard here the word tamid. Does anybody know what the word tamid means? It's usually called offering, yeah, but that's, that's not what it means. It means continual. And there's actually two offerings, as, as you may know. Uh, every day, uh, on the Shabbat, there's a double offering of the Sof. But every day of the week, every week of the year, every year of the Shemitah, the seven-year cycle, every Shemitah of the Jubilee, for on and on, there is an offering. At three in the morning, at three in, excuse me, the third hour, which is nine o'clock in the morning on our on our Western clocks, and at the ninth hour, which is at 3 p.m. on our Western clocks. And this is where we get the concept of Erling, uh, of morning, the Shacharit prayers, and also the Mincha, the afternoon prayers. Morning and afternoon. So there are two offerings. 
Between the two offerings of the Tamid offerings at the third hour, three, nine in the morning, uh, and the ninth hour, three in the afternoon, all the other offerings that are brought, every other offering must be brought between those two offerings. No one is allowed to bring an offering before that time, and no one is allowed to bring an offering after that time. All the offerings must be between these two Tamid offerings. And uh, the first one's placed on the altar, and then all the other offerings of the day. Uh, if it's just a, a weekday, uh, you know, the first days of the sixth day, people just come. They bring a peace offering. Uh, they've, they've had a good year. They want to be thankful. They bring a thanks offering. Uh, they, they, uh, they just want this temple experience. Uh, maybe it's feast time. You know, maybe it's during Passover. You'd bring peace offerings, certainly. And plus, on top of that, they were actually korban Olah offered to them at the same time. These are offerings that are consumed. They're not, they're not eaten. They're not, they're not part of a fellowship meal, uh, as something like the peace offering would be. And during this time, all these offerings are placed on top of that first goat that's placed on the offering. Until the afternoon, that's it, and then the last one is placed on. And between all of those are the people's offerings. So the tamid, you think, well... It's punctual. It's at the third hour and the ninth hour. And no, it's not. It's continual. It's continual. It's continual. Do you know that group where that's a great point because we also have evening prayers. There was something happened in the evening. And what they did in the evening is they took all the offerings together, piled it up in the middle, and let it burn through the night. Uh, so then that was the time for the Ma'arif prayers. Uh, the evening prayers would be, all those offerings are burning now until, until the morning. So in the morning, the, the Levites, the workers, the common Levite, common Levite, yeah. <laughs> the regular, the non-priest Levite, would actually, this is a very great duty, to gather up the ashes. Because the ashes were taken where? Outside the camp. Boy, this is great, isn't it? Are we seeing these pictures? These wonderful pictures. Um, we talked a little bit last week and talked about this Passover Seder and how, how Yeshua presents himself as this perfect Passover lamb at the very occasion of Passover. We also touched on the idea that possibly, in fact, in my, my mind, most likely, that the Passover Seder was, was at the correct time, the evening of the 14th. And that the 15th, the day in which that we we're going to discuss today, chapter 27, the day that he died, would have been the first day of Passover, and uh, which would have been a obviously a Shabbat, uh, a, a weekday version of the Shabbat, a rest day. But it was also a, a day in which uh, offerings were made, uh, special offerings, Passover offerings, which included offerings of the people between three and uh, the third hour and the ninth hour. Um, but the Tamid offerings were offered all the time. And so even on the Passover, they're being offered. Um, saying that he is our Passover lamb is absolutely biblical. Uh, whether the Passover, the Passover lambs, though, if you'll remember, were offered the night to the afternoon of the 14th, whereas it is my opinion that he was actually on the cross the, the, the morning and afternoon of the 15th of Nisan. We also saw this connection to the four I wills. This is a tradition. The Bible actually has it. We saw it in Exodus that there actually is a, uh, there are a place for four I wills where God says, I will, I will uh, um, uh, free you from your bondage. I will uh, take you for my people. Um, and there's also the fourth I will, which is I'll bring you into the land. 
Um, we also, excuse me? I will be your God. Absolutely. Yeah. And he repeats that again. Uh, we saw in, uh, we also saw this connection to the word kingdom. It's no longer used after chapter 26. But Yeshua makes this reference to uh, when, he's, when he's doing this Passover Seder, talking about not drinking from the fruit of the vine until he comes in his kingdom. Uh, it was an important vow, very important vow. He connects the Passover to the kingdom. We talked about the counting of the Omer. Now we are, in fact, in the midst of counting right now. And that the Passover is not finished at the Passover Seder. The Passover season begins. The Passover technically is not finished until Shavuot. We're counting. It's all connected. It's part of the redemptive, redemptive picture. And now we see that this redemption is going to be accomplished by the king himself. That's what, let's get into the day. Um, go to uh, chapter 27, verse 17. And actually, I'm going to read, I'm going to read uh, a bunch of this just so that we get the context. Those of you who did not have a workbook, uh, just so we can all be on the same page, it's a, it's a long, but it's a very important passage, a uh, very important chapter for us here. Let me start in verse, uh, actually, let me start in verse 11. Chapter 27, verse 11. Now Yeshua, Yeshua stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Yeshua said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? First of all, who's testifying against whom here? Who, who's, who's, who are the prosecuting attorneys? Who's it say? The chief priests and elders. That's right. Uh, uh, this is not this is this is a Roman trial, but the prosecuting attorneys, as it were, uh, were in fact the uh, temple officials. Uh, normal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was a, it was a joint it was a joint. There's a there's a relationship between Rome and the officials in in Israel, and the officials are in fact. They, they, absolutely, they they were allowed to keep their religious system, which included, you know, principle of Judaism as law, right? Which included their court system. So the court system was an established thing. However, this is not this is not the Sanhedrin. This is not this is not the the the, the court of uh, hewn stone. This is this is Pilate. That's right. Well, not you know, but they would call it judicial. Either way, it's judicial, but it's Roman government. Yeah. It is odd. It is odd. But they have to because certain things are... They can't kill them unless they get there, I understand. There were ways. And this is is one of the big contentions here is... That's why Pilate says, you know, what's what's the problem? You guys can deal with this. Well, we have to remember that the priesthood was bought... Uh, from Rome. That's right. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. From from the time of of Herod the Great, about forty years before, of actually this is about seventy years before this period, the priesthood had been bought and paid for by Rome. Well, the Hasmoneans. Uh, it was. It was already corrupted with the Hasmoneans, but yes. it was. But Rome came into the picture as a as as a part of this from from Herod the Great, and so what we have is we have this priesthood that has this uh, really this this secular. I hate to use that, but it's it really it's a very it's very callous, non-religious uh, thing that's going on. It's about power. Well, think about it. The priesthood was controlled mostly by Sadducees. People don't even believe in the resurrection of the dead. What's it all about for them? <laughs> it can't be about reward and punishment in the world to come, can it? Because they don't believe in that. 
it's all about power. It's about now. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they weren't. They were the opposite of Epicureans, but they, they but they did have something similar in that. It's like, uh, let's now's the time for power and for reward, right? And that's that's what's going on. So let's continue reading. Uh, verse uh, verse thirteen. Then Pilate said to him, "Do they? Do you not hear how many things they testify against you?" But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marvelled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed. This is talking about the feast of Passover. The governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. Um, it says that the governor was accustomed. This, there's this, this idea that this is somehow a Jewish custom, and it's 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 a custom that Pilate or Pilate's predecessors possibly, but it's a, it's a it was not a custom that 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 you can find recorded somewhere in some annals. Uh, of, of extant Jewish writings. That's, it's not a Jewish custom. It's uh, just a custom of, of the governor. Uh, releasing a multitude one, to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Wow. This is a funny way of saying it. Actually, there's a guy right now in the news his name that's a similar name. Abbas. Mahmoud Abbas. Um, therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Yeshua, who is called Messiah. And uh, I got a couple notes here. This is just a matter of interesting uh, switch here. Is uh, in, excuse me, huh? Well, he did that because he was trying to get Yeshua off the hook, basically. Because mm-hmm. they figured they probably would want to keep Barabbas because I mean he was uh, he was murderer. Actually, he was trying to get himself off the hook, maybe. Uh, don't get... <laughs> the danger is here is, is traditional Christianity has for 1,800 years tried to get Pilate off the hook. <laughs> Pilate, is a, Pilate is a known... I mean, uh, he is a ruthless murderer. I mean, there's just no way you get out of that. In history, he's recorded as... I mean, he's... he's He's not as bad as Caligula because he wasn't in charge of everything. But he's the same. He's the same kind of man. He's a ruthless man. Nobody even recalled him because he was going out completely out of control. Yeah, yeah. So, but he was trying to get himself off the hook. He didn't want an uprising. You're right. He didn't want an uprising while he's there. He knows this is this is this is a potential this is a potential problem. Uh, go over. Excuse me. He really didn't want to take responsibility. I mean, Washington's hands. Actually, he enjoys taking responsibility when it's politically. Yeah, he's trying to be. He's trying to look like the compromiser when he's really not. Go to verse thirty-seven real quickly. And they put. This is what after after this trial they put over his Yeshua's head the accusation written against him. This is Yeshua, the King of the Jews. Uh, in in verse seventeen, we see he's called Yeshua, who is called Messiah, right? And then at verse 37, he's called king of the Jews. So he's king and, he's, and he is. He's, he's, he's Messiah and he's king. And between these two bookends, I make note here in verse 17, uh, Barabbas is the Aramaic for, same thing in Hebrew, would be ben Abba, which means son of the father. Isn't everybody a son of the father, right? So this is the guy's name, son of a father. What you don't have recorded here in the gospel is his first name, as were his first name. His his. His nom de guerre, his, his, <laughs> his, the name by which he was known was Yeshua. So this man Barabbas, this man Barabbas's name was Yeshua Bar Abbas, or in Hebrew Yeshua Ben Abba, Yeshua 
son of the father. Uh, and so we have here is, we have two people with the same name, really, kind of like, right? Not really. But aren't they kind of two people with similar names? Yeah, it's very ironic. So which one do you want? Yeshua, son of the father, or do you want Yeshua, the son of God? Which one do you want? Which one should I free? It's an interesting question for you, isn't it? Which one would you free? Now, this is a problem that, that Messianics, uh, even, even, even Messianics, but especially traditional Judaism, what, what, what do they choose? You know, most of them. You know, most, most of our people will choose who? We'll take Son of the Father. It's good enough. Let's not go into that divine thing. Right? That'd be too tough. That's too far over the line. We can take him as a man, you know. The, you know, I love Shmuley Botea. What a what a what a great Zionist he is. I even like watching him when he when he argues with Michael Brown. But and he's got a book coming out, you know, Jesus, the Jew, and in which he argues very well how 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 orthodox Yeshua really lived and and was. Um, but that's as far that's as far as we can go. We can't go any further. We can take him if he's Yeshua Bar Abbas. You know, Ben Abbas, the son of the father. Just don't give us the Messiah part. The son of God, oh, you know, we can't we can't go that far. We can take him as a as a good rabbi. We can take him as a, a good teacher that we might want to follow after his words. But don't make it any more than that. That that's very sad that our people have have been given this choice for 1,900 years and we almost always make the wrong choice. We just want the Son of the Father. That's good enough. He's more than that, y'all. The switch that's being done here is, is, is a switch that we all have to deal with all the time. You may not realize you're dealing with it, but it is something you deal with all the time. Which do you want? Roseanne? Rick, am I wrong that my church is most Jews who are active in their faith are really willing to follow their rabbi sure. and read their prayer. Absolutely. And that's as far as they go with it. They don't struggle with something like there's an aw- well, I have to tell you, there's an awful lot of anti-missionary activity for there not being a problem. So obviously there is a struggle, isn't there? Um, and it's very good. I have to tell you, you know, if if you if you if you want your if you want your faith strengthened, you might listen to what the anti-missionaries say. But be, beware, you may have your faith weakened. But isn't that pretty limited to Israel? No, it's here. In the United States, very, very prevalent. Absolutely. The vast majority of anti-missionary work is being done in English, not Hebrew. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to be very careful here. Don't misunderstand me. The anti-missionaries' hearts are not in the wrong place. Some of them certainly have, have, may have impure motives. But what is their desire? Their desire is to retain the sanctity of Judaism. Right, because what happens if you if you let that go? If you include, I mean, you can be a Hindu for you know, God forbid you be a Christian. That's the problem, right? Now, what 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 do you what do you lose if you if you you, you lose your Jewishness if you become Christian? That's what there is the point, right? And and you know, sadly they've 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 bought into the line 
that Christianity has sold for 1900 years, there's Judaism and there's Christianity and never the twain shall meet. As Messianics, we stand with feet in both worlds and say, we don't understand. We, we no longer get the contrast here. We don't see opposites. We see, we see a unity. And because we believe in the scriptures, we understand a unity is foretold and will be reestablished by Messiah. And we look for that moment, as Romans 11 says, when all Israel will be saved, don't we? So we look, we scratch our heads, we say, we don't understand how it could happen. The anti-missionary arguments are good arguments. I'm serious, y'all. Don't misunderstand me. They are good arguments. But they're incorrect. Don't just dismiss things and say, well, they just, they just don't understand. Oh, let me tell you something. Anybody that says that these people don't know the scriptures is sadly mistaken. <laughs> Do they have the New Testament that as well? Many do. I had a talk with a Christian rabbi many years ago. Mm -hmm. And I was told by a conservative rabbi that I was no longer Jewish. Mm -hmm. And this Hasidic rabbi said to me, you can never stop being a Jew. Yeah, good for him. Absolutely. That's true. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I don't want to lump everybody together. You're right. You're absolutely right. This, to try and treat Judaism as monolithic is to exclude ourselves, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. And we would include ourselves. So it is. It is, a, it, is a very, it is a very fluid position. But we need to remember that the choice has to be made. It's being presented here in Matthew chapter 27, and the choice continues to be made for us. Whether we're Jew or Gentile, this choice is here. Who you, got, who you want? Do you want just another man, a good man, or do you want Messiah? Because they, they can't be, they can't be the same person. It's got to be more. He can't just be another man and be Messiah. It can't be. So the switch takes place. We have the perfect issue and take the place of a criminal. And we now have this wonderful concept of a replacement for us, right? Uh, throughout the study, and this is the wonderful part, isn't it great? We start out this book of Matthew and we're ending it with the same theme, right? Repent, the kingdom is at hand. How many times have we heard it said? Well, we heard it repeated four times. But what we saw was, we saw the message is continually going back to this, is it not? And here it is, it's the kingdom message. Does the king win? He's on this cross, he's being, he's being executed, is the king in the hand? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it doesn't look like it right now, does it? In chapter 27, it doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like it at all. Go to chapter 27. Uh, uh, I, I should go back to verse 9. We, I had you looking at all these places of fulfillment. It says, uh, there was uh, then was fulfilled, talking about uh, um, when uh, uh, Judas... Uh, took his own life, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom the, they, the children of Israel, priced, and gave them uh, for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. We have this idea that uh, um, uh, uh, this Messiah, son of Joseph, uh, this Messiah, um, or... or uh, uh, Ben Yosef, uh, the, the two messiahs of, of, of the prophets, Ben Yosef, son of Joseph, and Ben David, son of David, are possibly the same person. And, and this irony of this messiah, son of Joseph, being sold for 30 pieces of silver. Um, Wasn't Joseph sold? Yeah, he was. He was. And, and, and the, the correlation between Joseph and the one who bears this name, messiah, son of Joseph, 
art is really uncanny. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's sold into slavery. He's, he's, he, he learns a new language. He looks totally different. And, and where, has, where has our Messiah been in exile? He's blue-haired, blue-eyed, blue blue blue-eyed and blonde-haired uh, with a wispy beard and uh, feminine features. He wears a toga. And don't forget the sun just goes. That's right, yes, high low around his head. He wears a toga. He speaks Greek. You go to any seminary today and they'll tell you that he speaks Greek. Um, okay, Aramaic on the side. <laughs> he speaks Greek. He's a student of Plato. Uh, and what, you know, what we have is we have this, we have this backwards picture. So that when the, when, the, when the very relatives of Joseph, his brothers show up, they can't even recognize him. He's got eyeliner on, for goodness sake. <laughs> and what, what takes place over that period of time and this, this is, that, is that eventually, what was it? What was it that made them recognize who he was? Do you know what it was? When they recognized him, what did they see? That's right. He spoke. He spoke. And what did he speak? He spoke in their language. He's a Jew. He's just like us. Well, then they would have said he's a Hebrew. He's just like us. What? This king in Egypt is our brother? Yeah. So it may be for our people, right? This king? You mean that one that Christians call Jesus? He's, he's, he's our brother? He's Messiah? Shock. So we see this wonderful correlation in this king being revealed and all of these pictures. God is so good at giving us these pictures. We're, we're simple-minded people. We need these pictures. And, he, and he's good in giving us these pictures. Uh, go to 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. By the way, you know it is our duty to carry our Messiah back for his people. Joseph's bones were... Joseph was buried in, in Egypt and it is our duty. As he said, don't let me lay here in Egypt take me back to the land. It is our duty to take our Messiah back. To carry him to the people of Israel and say, look, he's Jewish. He's not, he's not an Egyptian... He's not a Gentile. He's not a, he's not a, oh, well, he was a Jew, but now he's resurrected as a Gentile. No, he's a Jew and he's a Jew forever. He's from the tribe of Judah. He's David's son. You know, here he is and he is, and he is our Messiah. He's your Messiah. It's our duty. Not just to the Jews, to everybody. It's our duty to make sure that he doesn't stay buried in Egypt. Right? Well, we went to the flea market a couple weeks ago and we saw him with red, John. Oh, yeah. <laughs> First Samuel 8, verse 4. First Samuel 8, verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, uh, you know, where Ramallah is today, and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should reign over them. What kind of king did they want? They wanted a king. They wanted a king like all the nations. Make us a king. That's right. We want to be like everybody else. Make us a king. Just make us a king. 
Uh, and what did God say? They haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. So who was their king? God was their king. They didn't want a king like God. They wanted the son of the father. They just wanted Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. We don't want, we don't want this God man as a king. And yet what we see is this is a constant cycle coming back again. Uh, they got the man they asked for, Saul. What kind of king was he? He's a very poor king. Well, he was looked great. Oh, look, this is a great king. Oh, this guy's awesome. It's exactly like we pictured a king should be. And he was successful at first. And what do we see in the end? Is is that he, he fails like every other king that is man only. That's right. Go to Genesis twelve verse one. We don't want a king like this, I promise. I was just reading recently about uh, uh, Barkosiba, uh, Barkokva, the star. His, that's not his name. It was given to him later. Uh, but Rabbi Akiva, in the second century, sees a great warrior. He's able to get a lot of people all excited about throwing off Roman domination. And uh, says he must be Messiah. And he overlooked a lot of the flaws. For instance, the guy was like a bad guy. <laughs> Um, he had all of his soldiers. The uh, test of loyalty was to cut off one of their hands, one of their fingers. It's like, wait a minute, that's not Jewish. Sorry, we can't do that. So, okay, we won't do that. Uh, but it wasn't until he actually had had another rabbi murdered that by then it was too late. But that's when Akiva goes, well, this guy can't be Messiah. You see, again, all these ones that look like they ought to be right look like they ought to. Man, he looks he looks like a king. He's going to throw off Rome. And they just disappoint us because they're just men. A Messiah can't just be man. He can't be just a man. He can't be. Because he'll be, dis- he'll be a great disappointment to us if he is. Roseanne? Well, hadn't there been other men claiming to be... Oh, sure. Lots. Lots. Which they, I would think, to the common people, a sense of guardedness well, you and I have been warned, so maybe we're not a good example. But I tell you what, aren't you looking for him? Don't you want him? Absolutely, and I think they were looking for him. That's right. They wanted him, but yes, there was that. Uh, We've been disappointed before, but I don't know. You know, it's like gambling. We're talking about gambling. People just keep doing it. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, disappoint me again. Maybe this will be the bit jackpot. Maybe you will be Messiah. That's right, yeah, I know. Go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Abram, saying, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land where I show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 4. Actually, 2 Samuel yeah, 7, verse 8. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took for you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be a ruler over my people, over Israel. Let's see how far I'm just going. And I, and I have been with you wherever, wherever you have gone, and have cut off 
all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name like the name of the great men who are on all the earth. Moreover, I shall appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. So here is the Lord is promising David something on the basis of what he promised Abram, Abraham. Okay? He promised Abraham first and now he's following through. And in fact, uh, we're going to see it here that, he, that, that this promise is, is really a, a refining of the same promise. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people. Verse 11. Am I in the right place? Yeah. Verse 11. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house, a bake, a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house, a bait, for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He shall be my son. And then, uh, what we recognize, this, by the way, is a messianic prophecy, and all of Judaism recognizes messianic prophecy. Uh, however, when verse, in verse 14b, it continues, If he commits iniquity, I will chastise him, chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the Son of Man. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you, and your house shall be a, your, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. He's prophesying about Solomon. But he's also prophesying about, prophesying about a yet future king, his son. This Messiah ben David, son of David. And this Abrahamic covenant now is being ex- not really expanded, but refined or more revealed in the Davidic covenant. David wants to build a house. Let me build a temple for you. Here, I bought the land. I bought the land. There's a couple places in Israel that have been bought. Hebron. I'm sorry, no Jews allowed there anymore. And the Temple Mount. No Jews allowed there anymore. Either. And actually where Joseph is buried. No Jews allowed there. Ironically, three places we have deed for that we're not permitted to go. Uh, the Temple Mount is owned by David. He bought it. He said, let me build you a house. God said, you can't build me a house. I can't be contained. You know, God knows what he's wanting to do. And, and he's just playing along with the thing because he says, because he's, is, you have to imagine in your mind almost this smile. I'm going to build you a house. And the house that I'm going to build you is a forever house. It's not a house that's made out of hands, but it's a house that has hands. You know, I'm going to build you a family, but more importantly, I'm going to build you a house where I can dwell among you. You want to build me a house where I can dwell among you. That's good. Your son's going to do that. But I want to build a house for you where I will dwell among you. And this is what we see in this picture. The divine Messiah is important. It's not just a nice teaching. It is absolutely central to the understanding that Yeshua is Messiah. It has to be. He can't just be son of David. He has to be God in the flesh. He must be. Or he's just going to be like Saul. Or David. Or Solomon. Because in the end, what do you see? A weak old man like David. You know, that's, that's the way it ends. Or like Saul. Ending in, you know, 
unnameable sin, making his children even pass through the fire. What? Where did, where did he start? Where did he end up? We can't have a king like that. We don't want a king like that. We want a king that does not behave that way. Go to Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. Here's the coronation of this king. And Yeshua stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Yeshua said to him, It is as you say. He says, I am. Notice he doesn't defend himself in this whole trial, right? We all know this. He doesn't defend himself. But he answers this question, doesn't he? It's as you say. He never said he was Messiah. Listen, y'all. If he said he was king, he said he was Messiah. (laughs) There's no way that he can claim the kingship, the throne of David, Judah, the prince, or uh, Yehuda Hanasi, the compiler of the mission in the second century, was an heir to the throne of David. He's a cousin of Yeshua. Uh, Like several generations removed. He's a cousin of Yeshua. He didn't claim to be king. He, he had a right to the throne. Maybe he could trace his lineage. See, I, I have a right. He didn't ever claim to be king. Yeshua claiming to be king is claiming to be Messiah. Period. He says, it. it's as you say. Go to chapter 27, verse 27. Here he is. Let's, let's crown him. Then the soldiers of the governor took Yeshua into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And they had twisted, when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. Not a rod, not a staff, a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. He's king. That, thr- that crown of thorns is his first crown that we see. And it's, it's definitely a crown, isn't it? And those people kneeling may be kneeling, mocking, but are they kneeling before the king? They are, absolutely. Verse 35. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that they might fulfill what is, which, is, which is spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and as for my clothing, they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And they put over his head the accusation written against him. This is Yeshua, king of the Jews. They recognize it. This is it. They all say, oh yeah. Actually, they're upset, aren't they? <laughs> Don't say he's king of the Jews. Say, he said he was king of the Jews. Pilate said, I've written what I've written. He's king of the Jews. Pilate, of course, is not trying to do us any favors. Everybody in their effort to diminish this man, Yeshua, have in fact set him up and glorified him in our eyes, have they not? That's right. God is very wise in how he does this thing. They, they accept him as king, verse 39. And those who pass by blasting him, saying, wag, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroyed the temple, you who destroyed the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, well, wait a minute. He says, if you are the Son of God, I thought he never claimed anything like that. Obviously, you have, people haven't been reading their Bibles, have they? If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, he saved others. He did? They acknowledge it. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Did he come down from the cross? Okay, he's dead. 
But he walked away, didn't he? <laughs> he said it. If we see it, let him come down. We'll believe. If we see it, we'll believe. These are the wicked priests. They said, if we see it, we'll believe. They're going to see it. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, for he said, this is what they're saying, for he said, I am the Son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, remember he was put on at the third hour, we didn't get to that, but he was put on at the third hour uh, when the meat offerings were being offered in the temple. And to the sixth hour to the ninth hour, for the last three hours, before, uh, from noon until 3 p.m., when the last meat offering is put on, was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Yeshua cried out with a loud voice saying, uh, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. This is uh, Aramaic, which is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is a quote from uh, what Psalm 22. Um, they accept him as king. They say he will, but they will believe he'll come down. Uh, and then verse 54. I know, I know they say he'll come down from the cross. We'll believe you, but he also wrote not even his resurrection. If they don't believe what Moses wrote, then they won't even believe of the course, resurrection. Of course, of course. No, no, no. Well, we're not making. A, I'm not, I wasn't making excuses. The point is, okay. even what they say, he does. They still don't believe. You're right. Rick, is it just the Eli, Eli that, that the next verse speaks of? Uh, him calling they said he's Elijah? calling Elijah. Yeah. Uh, uh, actually, there's a way to say it. Um, it's yeah, if you speak it, if you speak, it, there's there's a I, I can't remember this this Hebrew variation, but there is a there's a there's a the reason it's very interesting because this actually involves a a known uh, like a lisp uh, the the Galilean dialect of Aramaic had a known and if there's other places in the Apostolic Scriptures that talk about it where it actually has a a slight lisp. And so it, it is. It is possible, believe it or not, based on reframing this backwards to actually come up with something very similar to Eliyahu. Yeah. Um, it, there, I mean, it's a. It's an interesting uh, thing in, in uh, all, you, all you linguists here. Um, it, it's a very interesting linguistic thing about this in uh, tracing it back to hear how the Galileans actually had an accent. Uh, verse forty-four. 54, excuse me. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Yeshua saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they feared greatly and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Um, So, here he is. He's dead. We're going to read about the resurrection later, next next week. Uh, He's dead. He is, uh, on the world stage, he's a failure as a king. Of course, we've just seen him crowned. This is it. He's accepted. He's accepted as king. He must be accepted as king. We'll prove it next week. Chapter 28 proves it, but he is king right here. This is it. Uh, in Genesis 22, we're not going to read it. This is uh, and also is, is related in, in Hebrews chapter 11. The Akedah, the binding of Isaac, something that we read uh, for Shacharit prayers each day. The binding of Isaac, something that's continually before us. Continually. Tamid constantly before us and being reminded that we have someone who can die for us. And in fact, this is the Akedah. The Akedah is on the merit, Judaism says, on the merit of our forefathers. Isaac's. Abraham's being willing to take Isaac. And Isaac's willingness to die 
On their merit we claim. We claim a place. We claim that promise before God. On their merit. This is very much the same thing. And where did the Akidah take place? We know it took place in the mountains of Moriah, uh, or the ridge named Moriah, and of course this place of the skull is on the mountain of Moriah. It's on the same, it's on the same ridge that the Temple Mount is on. This is not something new. Christianity did not invent this. This is something always has been. Substitutionary sacrifice. Substitutionary atonement. Covenant love. Uh, we see this. Abraham, take your son whom you love. Uh, the first use of the word uh, love in Hebrew. The provision that God makes for redemption. Uh, he provided a ram. He manifested a ram right there when it was needed. Don't kill your son. There's a ram. Uh, as the angel says, there's a ram was caught in the thicket behind him. And then the resurrection from the dead. This is the neat thing in Hebrews chapter 11, if you read it, it says, and Abraham returned, his, his son returned back for him as a, in a parable. And people read that in the old King James, they go, a parable? What's the parable? And actually there is a parable. There's a parable about, there's a legend that Isaac really died. That in fact, it says, as a knife touched his throat, his soul flew clean out of him. And God on the merit of Abraham's obedience, placed his soul back in him and raised him from the dead. So, the writer of the book of Hebrews makes allusion to this story, not saying it's true or not, but the story that says, see, it's just like our, it's just like our traditions teach. There is a substitution. There is faith in the one who can take our place. On his merit, because he's perfect. Because of him, we can claim an audience with the king of the universe. Um, and the reason I included this last part, we need to close. The reason I included this part in Romans chapter 11 is for the specific reason I want to remind you, just like we touched on, is who killed Yeshua? We did. Not Jews. Not Romans. We did. We always choose the wrong Yeshua. Well, we don't always do. <laughs> but we always tend to choose the wrong Yeshua. So, if anybody's to blame, it's us. We can't say, oh, the Jews, they are the ones that... First of all, that's historically inaccurate. If anybody had to take a hit for it, it's the Romans. I'm sorry, it really is. So, if you're Italian, it's okay. Because we all take the blame. But the point is, it wasn't. it wasn't. It wasn't. God chose this moment in history... He chose this moment in history for it to be perfectly orchestrated. Don't ever forget that. And when, it, when you talk to people and you, and, and you convey your love for Israel, do that in such a way so that they can understand that he was born a Jew for a reason. God chose the Jewish people. He chose Abraham's seed specifically to be a light to the Gentiles. All the world can learn from this. If the world will get over that fact... <laughs> they won't until he comes back. <laughs> uh, the natural branches are going to be grafted back in. I promise. I promise. All Israel will be saved. And uh, my question is: Have you met the King? The Kingdom is at hand. The second coronation is one that soon will be seen. Next week we see the resurrection, and this is very, very important. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you that our King is risen. Father, we thank you for the supreme sacrifice, the supreme. Uh, love that he showed for us. We seek to live lives that emulate him. 
and give him glory. Father, because he did die and his, and his perfect uh, soul is a merit that we can claim and that we claim before you. And we ask, Father, that his perfect righteousness be given to us. Father, teach us to live in that righteousness so that what we do each day reflects what you have done for us. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. God bless you.